Life Management Science Labs would like to acknowledge that we live and produce this podcast on the traditional lands of the Wurundjeri people. We'd also like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the lands of our listeners and our international colleagues. We'd like to pay our respects to their elders, past, present, and emerging. Hello and welcome to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Labs. We are champions in life management science, providing structured insights informed by science and inspired by practice on key aspects of conscious living. Each week we bring you scientific and practical insights on each element with the expert knowledge of professionals in the field. I'm your host, Aditi Kuti. Let's get on with the show. Welcome back to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast. I'm here today with Nicole Matheson, um, who is a counsellor and a relationship science uh, expert and um, therapist, couples therapist as well. Uh, Nicole, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me, Aditi. I can't wait for our chat. Me too. I'm really excited. We're going to be talking today about how important it is to be self-compassionate um, in uh, while we're in a relationship, which we, I think on our show, we focus a lot on being compassionate to other people and communicating to other people. Um, we tend to forget about ourselves, I think, sometimes a little bit in that process. Absolutely. We want to give self-compassion some latter day today. Yeah. For sure, for sure. Um, I have briefly introduced you, but did you want to tell our audience a little bit more about yourself? Sure. Yeah. So I am a counselor and a couple therapist, and I've also written a book um, called The Beauty Load, which is about how to feel enough in a world obsessed with beauty, which might sound completely off topic of couples and counseling but actually well maybe not the counseling bit but the couples and relationship focus bit but actually i see how we feel about ourselves and our bodies as such a crucial foundational part of um of relationships and that kind of leads to the self-compassion piece as well because it's how we feel about ourselves is a platform for our self-esteem for our interrelating with life with self, with our intimate partner. Um, I believe that a strong connection with one's own self is the key to living a full thriving life and also having thriving relationships. So I really help my clients, um, whether they're individuals or couples, sort of practice and cultivate ways to really deeply connect with themselves, understand themselves, nurture um, their own needs, their boundaries, their desires, and work out how to communicate that as well. Yeah, yeah absolutely. No, I agree. This uh, It's it's a great topic to kind of, I'm really excited to dive deeply into it. We're going to chat a lot more about yeah. all of that very yeah. soon. Um, we've got first a segment called Have You Met Nicole Matheson? In which mm-hmm. I ask you a bunch of questions about yourself. You mentioned earlier that you're not very good at answering questions like this, but I assure <laughs> you um, there's no wrong answer. <laughs> Are you happy to well, answer no, that? this bit. Not talking about my stuff, but this bit. <laughs> That's all right. Are, are you? We'll, we'll get through it. It'll be short and sweet. <laughs> So um, I guess what I want to start with is uh, what is your favorite book? So my favorite novel, this is easy. I love reading novels is Eleanor Oliphant is completely fine. Love that book. So okay, good. Cool. <laughs> um, who's that by? I, I, I've heard well, of it before. I forgot right now, but yeah. That's all right. Mm. That's a 
Google. Google is free. <laughs> People can look it Google up. <laughs> um, what about uh, favorite movie? So having uh, trouble thinking of one. I've loved so many movies, but right now the names are leaving me. But what comes to mind is Avatar. I did love Avatar. Such a cool movie. For sure, for sure. Um, the first one or the second one? Well, I haven't seen the second yet. I do want to. Um, okay. But I think it's just that whole, that that planet where they connect so deeply with nature and, yeah, the animals and the plants and stuff. Love that. Of course, of course. Yeah. Um, what about a podcast that you've been listening to lately? Ah, well, I really enjoy Glennon Doyle's podcast, which is We Can Do Hard Things. I love Come As You Are, which is one of my favorite therapeutic books um, by, um, gosh, my brain's not working, but you can Google that. But Come As You Are is an excellent podcast that really talks about sex and relationships. Yeah, really recommend and sure, I also sure. have my own podcast, so love listening to those. So, so many recommendations there. Uh, more are always better than one. <laughs> um, what about a famous role model that you've looked up to? I'd have to say Esther Perel, who is kind of the pinup girl for couples and relationship work, and but also just, yeah, just being a really lovely older woman role model who's just in her power um in her confidence like in her flow totally look up up to her yeah sure she comes up so much on our show there's so many people look up to her um she's such an incredible woman yeah Yeah. she's got it um what about the last course that you completed the last course i completed was actually Gabor Mate's Compassionate Inquiry. Yeah. Okay. Really awesome. enjoyed that. Yeah. Awesome. All right. That's the end of that. I told you it would be quick. I got through. <laughs> you got through it. <laughs> you named one movie and three podcasts. So <laughs> we, we've had a lot. And I think I think that was the perfect way to end that segment. Um, we'll now move on uh, to our topic for today, which is self-compassion and how to practice self-compassion in relationships. Um, but to kind of start off very broadly, I wanted to ask, what what is a relationship to you? How do you define a relationship? Oh, well, I mean, there are all sorts of different types of relationship. But if you're talking about an intimate relationship, I would say that is an attachment bond. It's an emotional bond. It is um, hopefully one that most of the time feels safe. Uh, And I don't mean physically safe. I mean emotionally safe. And that they are the person who you can go to with everything and who helps you get through life, like uh, a companion and um, a lover and a confidant. Yeah. Yeah, that's such a beautiful way to describe relationships, (laughs) especially intimate ones. Um, And like, I guess, do you feel like relationships have changed over the past few decades? You know, whether that be the structure that they take or how important they are or what they mean? Yeah, definitely. Like I think about my parents 
and their parents, you know, the last, the two generations that came before me, I've definitely got a very different relationship and different expectations of it to what they did. And I think primarily that is about, you know, like a deepening and a, a becoming as authentic as possible, like um, actually having the hard conversation. I feel like maybe this is because the world of popular psychology has has broadened, and we're 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 kind of more aware of of what makes things work. You know, whether that's parenting or relationships or whatever. But I definitely feel like I put a lot more work and effort into making sure things are long-term sustainable, not just fine in the moment, brush it under yeah. the carpet. For sure, <laughs> for sure. Um, I guess speaking of like changing, changing values and seeing like, you know, knowing what's important in relationships, I, I what boundaries, I feel like that's a term that's that's gotten really popular maybe in the last five to 10 years or so. Yeah. I, I don't think it's like been common knowledge before that. Um, what, what are relationship boundaries exactly? Well, I think any boundary is a real tuning into yourself first, primarily, and thinking, does this feel right to me? Is this okay for me? Um, is this what I need? Uh, am I, you know, thriving here? Is this going to work long term? Um, and a boundary is when you actually communicate that in a way to really ask for your needs to be met in a different way. And it could be retrospectively like, oh, I've been putting up with something for 10 years and it's just occurred to me that this is not okay to me anymore. And I have to communicate that to my partner or to whoever. Um, or it could be, you know, a, a whole new experience, a new, new person or a new experience where you're just like, actually, that's not okay for me. So it's really just communicating how you best need to be um, honored in the relationship. Yeah or looked yeah. after or loved or cared for, whatever it is. Yeah, mm. for sure, for sure. How how do you how do you set boundaries, I guess? And how okay, before I ask that question, yeah. how, how what relationship do those boundaries in your relationship have with self self-compassion? Yeah, well, everything, really, because um I mean, that's a big question that nearly feels like we need to go into self-compassion really deeply. <laughs> All right. Well, what is, what is, let's start there. <laughs> what is self-compassion? Let's circle back to that question. Um, so I feel like self-compassion in a nutshell is us being understanding and kind and nurturing to ourselves. And so if we're not self-compassionate, where we can be really hard on ourselves, we can be really like unforgiving, judgy, 
why am I feeling like this? I shouldn't need that. I shouldn't want that. Maybe I'm this. Maybe I'm too much. We can become really self-doubtful without the understanding. And what, how that um, is expressed in a relationship is either not having enough boundaries, not ha- not asking for what you need, um, not advocating for yourself, basically. Mm-hmm. Or it can, um, well, m- maybe it's more like and it can come out in not being able to have a deeper, more intimate relationship. And by that I mean without self-compassion, without me going my needs matter, or this is just who I am and this is how I need to be loved, then I'm not going to be able to come back in and repair. And repair is really important. And by that, what I'm saying is if I'm not really clear on who I am and what I need and owning that and asking for that to be met, I'm going to be stuck in kind of like blame or you're doing something, you're making me feel something or I don't know, it, 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 it shifts things. It makes me project rather than uh, be able to have that deepening. Does that make sense? Yeah, no, that, that makes perfect sense for sure. All right. So um, I guess my next question is, you know, one of the things one of the reasons self-compassion can be so hard, especially in my past experience with relationships, is that I sometimes forget that I'm just my own person, that I'm an individual person that has like my own needs. Often it's like, I think in society as well, there's this perception that when you enter a relationship, you become one part of a whole as opposed to a whole person. How do you, how do you kind of begin to practice how do you shift your perception to kind of, you know, prioritize yourself um, when when you're kind of feeling that way? Yeah, and I think I think people's perception is that it might be selfish, right, to think about your own needs, to own that, to ask for it, you know. And I think a relationship is always going to be a compromise. You've got, um, you know, in traditional terms it's two humans who cohabitate who live together um who do life together and i know relationships can look like all sorts of different things it's not always living together or it's not always that but to live with someone for life it's a big (laughs) it's a big compromise and you both have different ideas, different, slightly different values, maybe different life experiences, different expectations, different role models. You're not the same person. So, um, you know, there is the need for compromise. And I think that there is a big difference though, between, um, diminishing our own needs, dismissing them, so that we can be with someone versus nurturing them so that we can be with someone, right? So in the in the 
trauma, and I'm sure that we've all had experiences like this, where we've had to really diminish who we are and our own needs in order to be in relationship with someone else, whether that is a friend or a partner or a parent. Um, we know what that feels like, and it's pretty horrible and actually destabilizing and fills us with doubt about who we are and our worthiness. Um, and it's not healthy. It's not sustainable, and it's probably not bringing out our best selves. So the other option is that we actually become a nurtured, well-cared-for, contented version of ourselves who's probably really nice to be in relationship with and coexist with, and it's a lot healthier. It's a lot more sustainable. It's, it, it's the ingredients to thrive. And I think that if you are it, allowing that for your partner and you can see them becoming more and more who they really are, really shining, there's so much satisfaction for yourself in that as well. You know, because it gives, it gives in both ways. Yeah. Both directions. I've, I've never thought of it that way because like, even though, um, you know, and I've said on the show before, you know, I'm very happily single, but, um, I've always seen it as, you know, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life that I really need to sort out and I'm not my best self yet yeah. or even close to it. And I've always told myself that like, if I do enter a relationship, I have no kind of urgency to do so at the moment. But if I do, I kind of want to be something close at the very least to my best self. And I've always seen it as like doing it for someone else <laughs> as opposed to doing it for myself. Like I don't want someone else to have to deal with me when I'm not fully there and not, you no. know, I, my self-esteem is not kind of where it should be. I've never seen it as kind of like I would just have a better time in the relationship if I'm doing better. Like I've never seen it that way. No, it's totally true. You would. You'd have a much better time. And your partner. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, because actually sure. relationship satisfaction is a big part knowing your partner feels great when they're with you. Yeah, no, that's so true. I, yeah. I think that's a that's a difficult one. I think that's an interesting one. I'm going to be thinking about that. I think for for a while now. Well, um, I've, I've heard it. I've, I've heard it said before that we like to be with like friends or relationships. It is people who bring out the best version of ourselves that yeah. we like, love, love it. That's what love is. People who bring yeah. out a version of ourselves that we love, we love ourselves in that. Yeah, that's yeah. so true. I agree. I agree so much. Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm with you on that. Yeah. Um, I guess like what are kind of um, the challenges with practicing self-compassion? What issues do people come up against? And I'm sure that there are so many, almost too many to get into. <laughs> What issues do people come up with? Oh, my gosh. Okay, so perfectionism. <laughs> yeah. Self-criticism. 
self-doubt. Um, I have far too many people come into my therapy space and just kind of not know who they are, not know what they want, not know what they need, not know what their desires are, feel completely lost. Um, so that makes self-compassion hard, but I think that that's actually also the starting place because we, we can be compassionate for feeling lost. Like that's hard. Yeah. You know, and really what the, the kind of the cheats way to self-compassion is just um, showing up for what is. And also if stuff gets hard, that's when we get kind, which is often the opposite of what we actually do internally, right? Stuff gets hard, we get mean. Yeah. We we get critical. We're like, oh, God, you idiot. You should have done this. Why did you say that? You got yourself into this. Like as a way of kind of, you know, I like to talk in parts. I'm a massive fan of IFS, internal family systems um, therapy. It's a therapy model. And I feel like uh, self-compassion uh, really works nicely with it as well. So when we talk in parts, there's parts of us that come up. It's not all of us. There's multiple parts within us. And so when we have, um, say, you know, said something horrible to our partner, which happens, right? Mm -hmm. um, there's a few things going on. There's a few parts going on there. Firstly, there's the central stem of self, the true self, the capital S self that's there. There is the part of you that got activated and uh, felt something and wanted to say something to your partner. And there's the part of you that is maybe regretting that and judging that, right? Mm -hmm. So self-compassion works on all of these segments of self, all the, these parts of self. So firstly, um, self-compassion is there for, it is self and is there for self. But self-compassion is there for the part of you that felt cranky in the first place with your partner. It's like, hey, that was, um, you know, that makes sense. There's a, there's, uh, they weren't paying attention to you and you were feeling, um, abandoned and that, you know, ties into what went on with you uh, as a kid or something like that, right? So there's compassion yeah. for that part who felt yeah. that and had to say that thing. But there's sure. also compassion for the judgmental part. The judgmental part is also trying to help you. Yeah, You know, it's wanting you to not say activated and aggravated and angry things maybe and to keep this relationship safe for you and it's wanting to keep you towing the line and um, all of that. So there's compassion for that part as well. It's like, I get it. You know, um, thank you for trying to protect me. Yeah. yeah. Totally. I, I feel like um, I, that was kind of going to be my next question is how do you tell the difference between when you – should be listening to the judgment that's in your head um, and when you should maybe uh, kind of look at it a bit more skeptically and, and, and be nicer, be kinder to yourself. Yeah, and I think that there's a fear of uh, 
that if we turn towards that judgment or um, if we are kinder to it, that we're kind of energizing it, we're giving it too much voice or too much space. And where there's a there's another part perhaps that's scared of doing that. It's like, no, shut that. Shut that down. Yeah. Um, sure. But actually what we find with working with our parts is that they're like any human and maybe they're like a three-year-old human, right, mm-hmm. who's just had someone punch them in the face and they're upset. Yeah. And they're like, ah! and we're like, don't give it up. Don't give it energy. Don't give it attention. But actually, until we give it attention and acknowledgement that that's really horrible and that sucks for you and I'm here for you, they're going to stay upset. Yeah. They're going to have to stay upset and try and get your attention more and more and more until they're hitting you over the head yeah. with a baseball bat to get your attention. Yeah. And our parts are kind of like that. And so it's not necessarily that attention to our parts or to our upset means I agree with you and I love what you're doing for me and this behavior that you're doing for me is fabulous. Keep going. That's not what we're saying, but what we're doing is we're turning towards it and we're going, hey, I'm here with you. I support you. How can I support you to feel less stressed out about this, less upset? Um, it's it's that it's it's nearly like parenting 101. It's get down on their level, let them know you get them and give them a hug and and see what they need yeah sure. yeah it's kind of like make giving that inner child maybe what yes. it what it misses is that kind of like what it's what it's it is now it's that yeah it's inner child and the, all of the protective parts which can all have different agendas yeah totally sure i i feel like that's going to be especially i think I'm still, you know, um, I'm kind of a younger millennial. I'm like at that age where parents were not <laughs> kind of encouraging us to sit with our feelings as a child. If, <laughs> if we throw tantrums, like definitely they will tell us off and tell That's us it. to forget about it, get over it. Yeah. Um, so I think it'll be interesting for like people of of my generation and older like to learn self-compassion when that's not really built into kind of our childhood but there's I think a new generation of children that are um being taught how to do that it'll be interesting to see how they how they handle it and how self-compassion whether it comes easily to them or not I think you're so right. And I think that when you were asking what are the challenges of it, like that is it. Like we have been modelled and shown away um, from our parental figures, from school, from the education system, even from just general culture. It's like be stoic, go hard, ignore how you're feeling and just get on with it. Like don't worry about your own well-being. Um, and I wonder how that's working for us. (laughs) I I have a strange suspicion that it's, it's not really (laughs) like, how happy are we? Oh, well, we're more depressed, more anxious, more unable to focus, more all the things, right? More unhappy. Um, and, and when you think about how you have to be and how that would be in a relationship as well to just be like get on with it 
just ignore all the feelings, brush them under the carpet. Like how that plays out in relationship is a truckload of resentment that has not been addressed. Yeah. And an inability to address it because you've never done it before and you don't know how. Absolutely, for sure. How how do you continue to practice self-compassion when your partner is perhaps not so good at it? Oh, and this is common. <laughs> Very common. Um I think that you you can um help your partner by and and bring them with you even if they're not practicing even if they're not aware i think i think it is you know what we talk about in ifs is is self energy self energy feels good it feels good to be around it feels good to embody and um it's softer you know and i think that if you're practicing self-compassion if you're um asking for your needs to be met, if you're um, showing up for yourself. You know, for example, um, I have now got teenage kids, but say 10 years ago I was, I had young kids and was like pretty frazzled, like didn't have much space to myself. And I really just needed to get out into the wilderness on my own and a camping trip but how do I ask for that, you know, or how do I even admit to myself that that's what I need when I should be a good mother and I shouldn't want to get away from my family or all the cultural expectations, all the family expectations. Um, but it is now a big part of my life. Like I go actually with my girlfriends most of the time, but I go probably every three months on a camping trip into the wilderness where I don't have to look after anybody else. Mm -hmm. And it is life force to me. It is lifeblood. But um, my doing that and showing up for myself firstly makes me happier, makes me a nicer wife, nicer mother, and gives permission to my husband to do something similar for himself. You know, like, yeah, go on that golfing day, you know. Yeah, we need to do this. Him doing it makes me happy too because more permission for me to do it. I don't have to feel guilty or um, selfish. Yeah, we we give we model it. I think for our partners, and we hope that it rubs off somehow. Yeah, yeah. Do you think it's harder for women to be self compassionate than for men? Yes and no. Okay. I think that. The patriarchy hasn't really worked for anyone and that it's hard It's hard for men because they have to be, traditionally speaking, in inverted commas, big strong men. And I think that actually it's the patriarchy has a lot to answer for with where we're at in a lack of self-compassion because I think it's probably more a feminine thing. Um you know, if we look at the nurturing nature of the feminine versus the sort of able to really focus and get down to it nature of the masculine. But I think that the imbalance into 
the patriarchy, which is not masculine, it's something else entirely, right? It's not men, it's the patriarchy, is not great for for men in that they have to really uphold this hyper sort of strong image to be good in inverted commas men. And I think it's hard for women because we have gone into caretaking mode um, and so been socialized to look after everyone else and to be nurturing to the extreme at the cost and expense of ourselves. And um, therefore, it feels selfish, yeah. um, which, of course, it's not. It's, it's like that put your own mask on before you put your children's mask on because if you're dead, so are your kids. Yeah. Um, but if you're miserable... And if your life is drudgery and if your needs are not getting met and you're stuck, you're kind of dead as well. Yeah. It makes it harder for you to look after other people when, when you're kind of spread thin yourself. Yeah. yeah. Or to have any real nurture, you know? And sure. you really care. Or joy. You know, I want my kids to see me in my joy because that's what I want for them. I don't want my children, either of them, but especially my daughter, to look at the role of motherhood as one big sacrifice. That's not what I want for her. For sure, for sure. Leading by example. (laughs) Yes. As we talked about earlier. Um. Now, I, I, I want to move on now to how we can put all of that into practice. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, we've talked so much about practicing self-compassion and how important that is, uh, how difficult it can be as well. Um, but how, I guess my question um, for this section, our, our experiment debrief, is what is something that you do or you have recommended to clients to improve or even begin your self-compassion in a relationship? Mm -hmm. There's so many things to choose from here, but I'm going to just choose one to keep this simple. And I'm going to go for the idea of percentages. So I want to imagine that there is uh, a bucket of um, attention, let's say, or care or nurture or whatever. Care. Let's let's go care. There's a bucket of care. And I want you to think about how much of that care you are giving to other people and how much you're keeping to yourself. So if you are giving a hundred percent of your care out to your relationship, to your kids, to your parents, to your friends then there's nothing left for you. You are quite vulnerable. You are reliant on other people to respond to you in exactly the way you need, which they're not privy to, which needs good communication. And if you don't get it just right, it might do the opposite. Um, Versus if you are keeping some of the care for yourself so that you have more care to give 
So it doesn't really work in the bucket idea, right? But let's just think about percentages. If you are giving 100% of your care away, you are going to burn out. And then you will have nothing to give. Whereas if you can keep 50% of care to yourself, let's think about this just in terms of an intimate relationship, right? One person. If you're keeping 50% of your care and attention and nurture here for yourself and you're able to give 50, that can be sustainable. And I like to also bring people to this idea when they're dating, right? When you're on your first date, you're often 100% attention and care over there in do they like me? Am I performing well enough? Am I good enough? Blah, 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 blah. And you're not thinking, do I like them? Are they ticking off any of my red flag? I mean, you might think about that later, but in that moment, it's all about how much they like me. I want people to keep that 50% to themselves. Um, I want people to think about what they need to be okay, to be sustainable, like whether that is in this moment or whether that's something they need to set up for the long haul. Like, you know, like I did with my camping trips, like I knew I needed a complete weekend off to be sustainable. Yeah, Yeah, for sure. And it's kind of like, I feel like 50% for some might feel like a really big number, but it's really not. It's just half, you know, it's not like you're prioritizing yourself the majority of the time, even though you should prioritize yourself in in most cases, but you know, it's, it's not like you are neglecting others needs um, with that 50% either. You're still looking after other people in, in this case, the, the, the other people in an intimate relationship, Um, I guess, how do you, how do you quantify that in your own life? Are there like ways that you can kind of figure out where that 50% line is for you? Cause I'm assuming it's different for everyone. Yeah. Um, so I don't necessarily think in percentages in my daily life or in my relationship. I just think it's a, it's a metaphor. It's something to just consider, right? But on the daily, what I do is I have some kind of self-connection practice where I am tuning into myself and where I'm at and what's going on for me and maybe what parts are activated and I am giving, like I do a lot of sort of morning rituals and routines and I know how what I need in order to thrive. And I know that if something's out of whack in my relationship, that for, for me, for my needs, I need to have a repair conversation about that. I need to go back in. Um, so I am on the daily just kind of making sure that I'm okay. Tuning in, checking in, making sure I'm okay. Yeah, for sure, for sure. How do you like, do you have a particular time where you do this or is it kind of just 
a needs-based thing? Both. I have, uh, I'm a morning person. So for me, I have my dog walk and there's a certain tree that I pause at every morning for my gratitude and for just centering. And then I also always um, have a, a sort of some kind of meditation-y type practice. And it's it's not necessarily I sit and don't have any thoughts. doesn't always look like that. And and sometimes that practice turns into a looking after my upset parts kind of practice. Oh, there's some anger here and I'll sit with it. And um, so it's, it's, it's also responding to what's there. Um, and there's all my stuff. There's always material. There's no shortage of material <laughs> to tune into, to comfort. I like to imagine that in what I can do, right, is I can go from there's an upset part of me that's kind of controlling my nervous system and my thinking and jabbering away at me. And what I can do is I can become the big mama self and give that part a big hug. So that's the visual. And in that visual, we might have a little chat, we might get to understand it a bit better. I might reassure it with lovely kind words. I might just imagine myself hugging it, see see what it needs. But I have that kind of experience internally if I have upset parts. For sure, for sure. Yeah. Uh, what are the challenges with with engaging, you know, sitting with your own feelings and and figuring out what's wrong? What what are the what what are the issues you come across? I think that firstly, the biggest challenge is remembering to do it because we can we can just get down that path of being in a uh, an upset part and like in the narrative of it and in the story of it and it's like it's two hours later or it's two days later and we're like, <laughs> and because, like we've talked about, we weren't um, we weren't educated or conditioned or parented with this as a model. It's not top of mind when we're activated necessarily. So it's definitely a practice, and you know, a bit like meditation, which is, the aim is to have no thoughts, but you find yourself having thoughts all the time. But the point is to just remember to come back. To having no thoughts and that's the same with this it's just remembering ah i can comfort that into that upset part of me yeah. it's just the coming back to it it's the returning to it and um i think the challenge is really the brain's plasticity you know like rewiring it in a way like it, it's showing up when it's still new and unfamiliar and practicing it so that in those moments when you really need it, it's it's a pathway that you can use. Yep. Yeah. Sure. So the challenge is probably the first two years of it. And after that, it gets easier and easier. And it's yeah. like all of a sudden you find yourself being really kind to yourself and, and you have an internal world that actually feels loving and and from there what a beautiful platform of self-esteem like this is a, a platform in which to launch 
not not suggesting that you need that before you start a relationship, but to launch into really creating the relationship or that you really want in your life or career or friendships or whatever, you know? Sure. I love that you mentioned like it took, I guess, two years for you to kind of like get used to it. I, I think sometimes with the practices on the show, we try not to imply this, but in general, when people hear about practices, tips on how to kind of better their life, they expect it's going to be a matter of like a month or a few months. And then like, oh yeah, you know, 28 days to build a habit or whatever it is. But often when you're rewiring your brain in this way, like practicing self-compassion is teaching yourself, is, is unlearning just as much as it's learning something Absolutely. new. It would take such a long time. So it's so important to stick with it. It's, there's so many benefits. And in fact, um, Kristen Neff is one of the key researchers in the field of self-compassion. And they've done a lot of studies and research to show that it makes people less depressed, less anxious, um, more content in who they are, more content in their relationships, more content in their work life, you know, like just across the board and for physical health, like heart, all sorts of um, disease reduction. The benefits are like really, for me, self-compassion is the jam. It is the thing. It is what is missing. You know, like if there was one thing we should be practicing even while it is hard and while your brain is like, what the heck is this? I don't believe this. I'm very skeptical about this to push through because the benefits and the research are in and it is worth it, <laughs> in my opinion, because that's what makes life enjoyable is your internal world. That's what matters. You could be in Italy on a boat to Capri for the day and having the shittest time in your head. It doesn't matter yeah. what you're doing. Yeah. I totally, I have actually been there, not quite on a boat to Capri, but <laughs> on a hike in Italy, having the worst time. Right. <laughs> I totally get it. Like I'm, I'm in the most beautiful, one of the most beautiful places on the planet, but like my brain just wasn't there. So yeah. it was just an awful time. I think that's, that's a really important one for sure. Um, I'm going to end that segment there and I'm going to move on to some questions from the audience. Um, I'm actually going to stick to one question for this one because it's very big. Um, but are you happy? Are you happy to answer the one question we have? Absolutely. Hit me with it. <laughs> Fantastic. Um, so this one is how do you stay compassionate to yourself um, after a breakup? Well, like I said earlier, Self-compassion is for, well, it's for all times, but it's for when stuff is hard. And a breakup is hard times. It's really hard. It's really wobbly. It's really self-doubty. Like it just brings up all of our parts. We've got a part that is like, could I have tried harder? Could I have done something different? We've got a part that's like, is this the right decision? I'll do anything, you know, I'll, I'll compromise myself more to go back to that. We've got parts that are just scared that they'll never meet anyone as good, even though that wasn't quite good enough. We've got parts that are scared that you'll be, will be alone forever, even though we have beautiful people like Aditi showing us that singledom can be 
really a life choice and really satisfying one. But yeah. it brings up all the parts and it does bring up um, a lot of self-doubt because basically what self-doubt is and what self-criticism is is parts of us that are worried about us. They're really scared and they want the best for us. They care deeply for us. They don't want us hurt or upset. They want us to feel good. And so um, absolutely this is a very important time for self-compassion and what we need to do in these moments and whenever we have upset parts is we have to, we have to move from the sort of, I'm using my fingers here, so if you're watching on YouTube, you're good. If you're podcast, not so good. Um, <laughs> the jabbering noise of our part is the narrative and the story and they're jabbering away at you in your head, right, telling you all these things about you and what if you did this and what if you did that and maybe you're, you're not worthy and maybe you're never going to be worthy. That's just the story of fear, of a scared part. But what we need to do is we need to get down to the root of that part which is actually that it cares about you. So when we can go, ah, why is it doing this? Ah, because it's scared. Why is it scared? Ah, because it cares about me. Why does it care about me? Ah, because I'm worthy of caring about. If we can do that, repeat it on repeat, on repeat, on repeat, on repeat. Ah, this part cares about me because I'm worthy of caring about. I guess. Okay, thank you for caring. Deep breath. How can I support this part? Okay, it really is not enjoying going out to nightclubs at the moment, so I'm going to stop that for now. Or it's not enjoying being on Bumble right now, so I'm going to stop that for now. It actually really, really is enjoying being in the garden in the sun. Okay, so I'm going to do a bit more of that. So to answer the question, be kind. Be really kind. Be mindful. Notice the jabber. And also know that you are not alone. This is universally painful. It's hard. It's a hard moment in your life. And hard moments mean we get kind. Yeah. That's a beautiful answer, I think, um, to a very complicated question, but you managed to, to answer it so beautifully and so neatly. So thank you so much for that. Um, I've got a final, I guess, our final um, segment, which is the open mic in which I kind of let you um, talk about uh, whatever you feel was important to bring up um, at this stage towards the end of our episode. Uh, so very briefly, Nicole, uh, what did you want to chat about? Well, one, well, maybe I'll bring this back to the book that I wrote because obviously I was feeling so passionate about this topic that I spent four years turning it into a book, which is not a small undertaking, <laughs> I now realize, um, because one area where it can be really tricky for women in particular, but also men, to find self-compassion is body image and our looks. And um, I just think there is so much complexity within this and so much self-harshness, self-angst, self-criticism, self-disgust 
Um, really, I wrote this book because my heart was breaking about the state of it. Like, you know, I think before I was a therapist, I just thought it was me. I just thought it was me. I just thought, yeah, everyone else feels good because they're all fine. You know, whereas I could see all of my flaws. Um, and then you have the beautiful honor and privilege of sitting in people's intimate moments with them and you are privy to everyone else actually in a state of self-angst about their bodies and I'm looking at them going I can't I can't imagine that you would have any issues with your body of course mine was different but yours you know like just that state of being where we're so harsh on ourselves. And when you actually think about, I call it the beauty load. So it's a bit like we've got the mental load that I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with. And we've got the emotional load that a lot of women carry, not only women. But I say that there's this other load, unfortunately, that is the beauty load, which is this constant vigilance that women feel about their looks. Like, am I okay enough? Am I good enough? Am I, you know, there's a lot of pressure around thinness. Um, all of it, like, we know it. I don't have to tell you about it. But then there, then there comes the way to deal with that angst is the work of beauty, which is nothing wrong with it. It's always a beautiful thing to adorn ourselves and to make ourselves look beautiful. But you can see that this can get to the extremes where I cannot be okay, I cannot feel good about myself until I have done this, 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 and this, and I have spent yeah. that much money and that much time and that much personal energy and life force that I could be putting in so many other places and enjoying myself. And then you bring it to the realm of relationships and that what we briefly talked about, that platform of self-esteem. And I believe that the beauty load and body image is a foundational relationship experience for women because it is how it is our relationship life is kind of developing as we step through puberty into our adult or women bodies, as we step through this portal of like becoming ourselves and so much like who am I and where do I fit in and in adolescence and it sets us up for beliefs about ourselves for beliefs about our worthiness for compensating um, for not having the boundaries we need for not looking after ourselves in the way that we need to because we're not pretty enough and all of us have been conditioned with thousands of messages every single day of our life from a very young age to believe that we are not enough when it comes to our bodies and our looks because the industry makes billions of dollars off it. As you can tell, I'm passionate about this topic as well. No, I, I'm so with you there. I, 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 for me, like I actually grew up thinking I never had body image issues and that wasn't a problem for me. Like I was free of those burdens. Yeah. Um, but very recently, and I, I think it's definitely exacerbated by just being on camera. Um, yeah. I have realized I've just been ignoring the problem all of my life. And yes, the, I was 
didn't have that anxiety as much when I was ignoring the problem, but it just means that I have a lot more to deal with now that I, I probably, there's no easy way I think to deal with it, but it might've been a little bit easier if I had just been kind of dealing with, with it in increments, you know, throughout the, period, the the space of my life. So it's been a really, I think it, it's only occurred to me very recently how universal it is as yes. well. Like I, I, I because my experience and, and the people around me have also just, it's very difficult to talk about, I think, with people because someone will say something degrading about their appearance and your first instinct is to be like, no, you know, and, and it's kind of, I feel like it's just avoiding the conversation, you know, when, when, when that's the, it's a great thing to say, you should definitely try and consult them. But I also feel like often when I am on the receiving end of it, I'm like, I don't believe you. Um, maybe I will one day, but that's something internal that I need to figure out as opposed to someone externally talking to me about it. But that's, yeah, a whole topic in and of itself, a whole episode in and of itself. But I have a chapter in my book where I talk about how we respond, exactly what you're talking about, yeah. which is that um, if you say something derogatory about your body, I will jump in and go, no, but you're beautiful. No, I don't yeah. see that's beautiful. And actually what we're doing is we're gaslighting. I'm gaslighting you. Okay, and damn. that actually that can be that can leave you feel really feeling really empty one because you don't believe it but also because i have not touched into the shared humanity that we have here which is that i get it yeah. it's hard yeah and i have my own stuff that's so cool yeah i would i guess this leads very nicely into you know where can people find your book where can people find you i would also love to read your book <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> my uh, find me at my website, which is nicolematheson.com. And on there you can find my book and you can find I've got a beauty load podcast and a relationship smart women podcast and I do therapy online or in Paddington in Queensland in Brisbane. Yeah. Good. Amazing. I, uh, I'm going to definitely check out the book as soon as I'm done. And, um, but, uh, thank you so much for joining me today. I, I've, I feel like we've talked about stuff that's just so important and, and under understood. Uh, that's a weird phrasing, but someone out there will get it. <laughs> uh, thank you so much for chatting with me today. I've had a great time. Thanks Aditi. I have too. I've really enjoyed our chats. Thanks for your lovely, deep and, um, insightful questions appreciate it. I try. I try. <laughs> You've been listening to Reliscope, the Relationship Science Insights podcast produced by LMSL, the Life Management Science Lab. For more episodes like this from 10 different life management perspectives, search LMSL on YouTube, Google Podcasts, Apple Podcasts, and Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts, so you can get updated on everything we have to offer. We have a wide range of topics readily available for you to check out. If you enjoyed this episode, please consider rating our show, sharing it, and subscribing to our channel as it helps us grow and bring you more quality resources. More of our work can be found at re.lmsl.net, where you can join our movement. I'm Aditi Kuti. Thanks for tuning in.